The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. <laughs> Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome to the Titan Size Podcast. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of the Titan Size Podcast, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. On Sunday, the Titans suffered a pretty brutal defeat at the hands of the Arizona Cardinals in the desert, and they remain on the West Coast this week as they prepare to take on the 49ers at the end of the week. Now, as I'm sure all of you know, the reason that the Titans lost to the Cardinals was because their offense was quite simply terrible. They were unable to generate any sort of rhythm, and it was just punt after punt after punt. So before uh, Will and Matthias and I get into our uh, takes and opinions on why the Titans offense was so bad, we are going to have a special guest joining the show. Earlier today, we were able to have a chat with Joe Rexroad of the Tennessean. Joe is a sports columnist for the Tennessean. He writes really great stuff about not just the Titans, but the Vols and other uh, Tennessee sports teams as well. Uh, But the reason we wanted to have him on the show was one, he wrote a really great column earlier in the week about how Mike Malarkey handles his press conferences and things like that. But we also really respect Joe and that he always seems to know what he's talking about and just have really good opinions. And so we, we are pleased to be joined by Joe today, and we are, without further ado, going to play for you our conversation with Joe. And now we are joined by Tennessean sports columnist Joe Rexroad, who writes fantastic stuff every single week about the Titans. Joe, thanks so much for joining the show. Welcome in. Hey, thanks for having me, guys, and uh, thanks for the kind words. So the first thing I want to discuss with you is we're going to get uh, to talk about your column from the other day about how Mike Malarkey has developed a sort of tendency to evade questions and become defensive. But before we get into that kind of stuff and, and anything too substantive, I want to talk about the Titans as an actual football team because this defense has been playing lights out. But as we all know, the offense has really struggled and highlighted by Marcus Mariota's uh, miserable 10-14 to 14 touchdown-to-interception ratio. From what you've seen so far this season, what do you pinpoint as the primary issue of the offense? Because they can't run the ball. Mariota's throwing bad, inaccurate passes, making poor decisions. The offensive line can't pass protect. But what do you think is really the core issue at play here? Yeah, you know, I, I wish I had... An answer I felt really confident about there. I don't. I've been, I think, a lot more hesitant than a lot of people to say it's just got to be the system or the or the offensive coordinator mm-hmm. or, or just the coaching in general. I, I I certainly am not saying 
that um, you know that they're uh, free of blame. Not not at all. I mean, I think the entire operation was a disaster Sunday in Arizona. Uh, but when you say one, I, I really, I you know, I, I don't think it's one thing. I think it's a lot of things. I think that that they're not putting these guys in position to be successful. But I, I think that a lot of things they did last year with a lot of the same people are not working. I think the running game and the uh, step backward it has taken has been part of Marcus Mariota's problem. I, when I watch him play now, you know, the other day, I mean, he looks like a guy who isn't sure he'll get protection and isn't sure he'll have an open receiver. And I think, you know, that leads to some skittish moments. And, you know, listen, let's, let's remember this guy – has had serious injuries his first two years. He's had several, you know, minor injuries this year. He gets banged up. It's, it's human, I think, at some point to look around a little bit in that pocket. And I see that from him much more this year than last year. And, you know, I, I think that can easily be tied back to the running game, too. I mean, when you when you can't run it and you're in third and 11 all day and, you know, the play action doesn't work like it did last year, you know, it's it's a different ball game. And last year, with Tajay Sharp and you know Rashard Matthews and Kendall Wright for you know a chunk of the season, I mean he had you know that that worked better than what they have going this year with a couple of young guys right now that really haven't been able to yep. get up the schneid. So I'm I'm saying a million different things right now, you know. But that's the problem is I really I think it's a lot of things, and some of it is simply, however it's got there the other day there were some there were plays to be made for Marcus that he just didn't make and it's surprising when that happens because it was so automatic not that long ago yeah uh hey Joe this is uh Matthias um just coming into the season um we were we got all these new weapons uh for Marcus and we were really excited because uh for the first time in a while it seemed like we had probably one of the better receiving cores in uh, probably the entire league uh, from a talent standpoint. Um, but they've really struggled this season. Uh, Decker has been kind of hit or miss. Uh, Corey Davis has been injured, of course, but even when he's been out there, um, he just seems to have a miscommunication with Marcus all the time. Uh, and you've kind of been seeing it uh, on Sunday in particular. Marcus uh, was double clutching a lot of times when he was passing to to Davis and, and even some of the other receivers. Uh, and it didn't seem like they were on the same page. Uh, Taiwan Taylor also has um, hasn't really shown much, um, and why do why do you think that is that the receivers just haven't been as good as we hoped, or even close to uh, as good as we expected them to be this season? Yeah, you know, with Taylor, I really thought by now we've seen a lot more from him. early on. If you remember, he had some, you know, he had you know, his first a big long play at Jacksonville. I mean, this is long, long ago, but you know, there were signs. <laughs> Had some good games, uh, big play against Indy, you know, in the, in the home game. Um, and I thought by now that you know that he'd be more a part of this offense and he'd be getting more snaps. And so, you know, I think clearly he has struggled to pick up some of the stuff that they that they want to do. Um, you know, and with him, with this offense, usually they're going for. Bigger guys because blocking is a big part of the of the job of the job if you're receiver in this offense. So that's going to limit him in some ways. But yeah, I, I think 
he just struggled to pick it up. So, hey, again, with anything like that, then you look at, okay, so who's coaching him? Why haven't they been able to get him to speak? Look at receivers coaching, the OC. I mean, it's it's fair game. And, you know, with Corey Davis, it's, you know, obviously a, a hamstring. And before that, of course, he was hurt, couldn't run the combine. He's had injuries. How much does that affect him now? I don't know. But he doesn't. You know, he just doesn't look. I mean, I, I covered him a little bit in college. I saw him in college. And I saw him going against guys who you know, ended up in the NFL. He does not look the, the same level of explosiveness right now to me. He just doesn't look as fast as quick. And as a stuff, I think that's also picking things up. You know, all when he was hurt, we heard a lot about, you know, in the classroom, he's on top of everything. He's ready to play every week. He's been able to stay engaged. You know, I remember the opener. He comes in cold and has a big day. Um, but mm-hmm. for whatever reason, you're right. There's double clutching. And Marcus missed him on a, you know, what would have been a 25, 30-yard play downfield in the first quarter Sunday. And he just was late and he floated it. Now, you know, what did, did Davis run that route exactly right? You know, I don't know, but he was certainly open. He got himself a nice chunk of field off to himself, and then just the ball got their way. But it's very surprising, very disappointing. I'm, I'm with you. I mean, you know, going here, I'm looking at the team saying, well, uh, they can be fine on defense. You know, if those tickets secondary work out and stay healthy, they can be average. And they can be unbelievable on offense. You know, with the running game, now you have these weapons. Mario in his third year. Familiarity with the system that, you know, was, after the slow start last year, was very good. Really, in the second half of the year, other than that game against Jacksonville, I guess Denver, too, that was a really good defense last year. So, I, I, I totally misread this team, and, and we're kind of talking about the opposite things on the defense, keeping it in games, and the offense is just a disaster right now. Yeah, I mean, all, all that makes sense to me. This is uh, Will. Uh, talking about wide receivers, in Atlanta, uh, Mike Malarkey very clearly had guys that he wanted to lead in the passing game. You know, it was Roddy White for a long time, and then later it started slowly transitioning to Julio before he left. At one point, Roddy White, in his last season, Roddy White had 181 targets in the passing game. And you have Matt Ryan, and you have, you know, a more explosive passing attack, but they still gave the ball uh, to the running back 300 times, to Turner 300 times. I don't know why this team struggles to find that sort of balance of being able to rely on the running game when you want to, but also finding a guy and really making him your number one wide receiver. It looked like it was Rashard Matthews last year, and it looked like they wanted it to be Corey Davis this year. But there's no, you know, there's no concerted effort outside of one or two quick, you know, quick passes to Corey Davis to make him that guy. And Rashard Matthews, if they're trying to transition away from him. You know, why aren't there more design plays, you know, crossers, you know, deep posts, stuff like that, to really get Corey Davis's explosion and his size into the equation at all? I, I don't understand why he's not a prominent figure in the passing game. Yeah, and I mean, even just, yeah, and they've they played some, but I, I agree. I mean, it's still a fade to him. I mean, if nothing else, even if he doesn't have any separation, if he's not open at all, he can go up with that big body and, and great hands and, and make plays. They got in the opener. You know, I think the first target of his career was a you know, fade to the right side, and it, and it you know, was a completion. And you can, that's something that he should be able to do in there. Well, I mean, I've actually done a little more of that with Decker lately, which is 
receivers. You know, I know some of it's matchups too, but yeah, I agree. I mean, I think with Rashard Matthews, I think down the stretch here, he has to be the guy. Um, you know, he was coming off the hammy and saw a lot of Patrick Peterson Sunday. No, but I think at San Francisco and Little Four, I mean, he's got to be the focal point you know, until you know that you can trust Davis. But I agree, if you're going to have Davis out there for that many snaps, um, and, you know, you're going to ask him to, like, block on these receivers that he really struggles to do, which is surprising, too, by the way. You know, you use him, use what he has more and, and try to get some stuff going for him. Because he, he does, you know, I feel like, just being around a little bit after the games, too, and just looking at body language. I mean, he's really frustrated right now. Probably with a lot of things, you know, how he's used, how he's playing, the whole thing. I mean, he knows he was a top five pick, and he's been, you know, back from that hamstring for a few weeks now. And so I, I, I thought one of the keys of this team, you know, around midseason was, you know, that last month is Corey Davis going to you know, kind of explode, like sometimes you see with a few receivers late in that first year, and so far no indications. You hinted in your column the other day, Joe, about how Mike Malarkey tends to deflect blame away from Marcus Mariota and blame issues that we see on, you know, deep football concepts that we wouldn't really understand. The go-to seemingly has been, to blame the receiver's precision and this idea that, you know, they're lining up a yard too close and their routes are going a yard too far one way or too far another way. I've never heard a football coach put that much emphasis and talk that much about seemingly such a random and minute detail as Mike Malarkey. And I think you will agree with this and and that you'll kind of nod your head yes, but I'll ask it anyway. Do you think that Mike Malarkey is, at least in the media, too hesitant to put blame on Marcus Mariota, whereas guys like Mike Tomlin with the Pittsburgh Steelers sometimes uses his press conferences to send messages to players he wants to improve? Yeah, yeah, I think Malarkey is definitely not one of those guys. And I've covered coaches who will absolutely send messages messages to guys, coaches, and they use us essentially to, you know, say something they want to say. He's definitely not that guy, which is fine. Um, but, yeah, I, I think he is. I think he's very, very hesitant to say anything critical about Marcus. You know, I think one reason there is that Marcus is truly, um, truly respected, uh, you know, I think in that locker room universally for, how he works, who he is, all those things. I mean, intangible for Marcus Mariota, it doesn't get much better. You know, just like when he was going through the draft process and people were like, gosh, there's got to be something wrong with this guy because there's nothing wrong with this guy, you know? I mean, so I, I do think that's part of it. And then it's just, the, you know, he's a franchise quarterback. I mean, he's the guy you know is going to be here, uh, you know, if you're, even if you're not, you know? I mean, I mean it's his thing. You're, you're pinning so much on him. Uh, and I'm sure, and I'm not saying like Marky's like wrong when he points out. I mean, I think it was pretty obvious the other day that Rashard Matthews made that mistake on the first pick. Um, you know, Marcus tried to say it was him. He was the only guy in the locker room saying that. So, yeah, but I, I agree. I think sometimes, even if you're not going to be critical, you know, it's okay to go ahead and say if, you know, just say what happened if you're asked a direct question about something Marcus did wrong because he obviously isn't perfect and he obviously is struggling right now. Maybe it's also a little bit of just worry about his confidence. And, and I, 
I'm surprised to see some of the even just some of the looks from Marcus on the sideline lately, you know, because he's always been that guy yeah. who's just, you know, just very confident and very even keel, but you can see it in his face now. After the game Sunday, I've never seen him that short and that clearly upset. He's very, very, you know, usually very, very much the exact same guy publicly. So that's also, I think, probably pretty great. You're worried about his confidence and trying to figure, well, not going to, uh, you know, contribute to any more erosion of that confidence. But it is frustrating at times. Yeah, uh, I guess I'll address the the hot topic that's uh, going around lately. Well, it's really been going around the whole season. But um, I guess the issue, not the issue, but the topic at hand right now is is kind of Terry Robisky and whether he's the right fit for this team, for this offense. Um, he's had some good moments, but a lot of the times uh, some of his concepts and just some of his play calls in general are just they're kind of baffling at times. Um, you saw this last week on the final play of the game where Dory Jackson, who's a rookie cornerback, was the target. Um, I don't know if that was the the play design. It seemed like it was a it, it was it was some sort of screen, uh, and they were trying to get Dory isolated, but that didn't happen, and we ended up losing the game. Um, do you believe that Terry Robisky should be the offensive coordinator going forward, or do the Titans need to change in that department? Well, I. Look, I think that if this continues, um, and I think especially if this continues and the team doesn't make the playoffs, I think the change there is absolutely going to be on the table. And I think that's fair. I mean, look, wasn't that long ago, I wrote a column that got a lot of fans ticked off about how I think he's doing a good job. Last year, I was really impressed with the overall <laughs> approach that they found. So I thought they overachieved in the passing game to a large extent with the personnel they had out there. And, you know, you look at the production they had from about week four on, again, with a couple exceptions against defenses that were able to man up on their receivers and really take them out of the game. Other than that, they had some terrific, you know, offensive outputs. I thought they had a real nice balance of, you know, power, whatever people call it. I don't even know where exotic smash came from, but it was pretty accurate. You know, a, a good balance of Power game, you know, play action, you know, creativity, sprinkling in a little Mariota run game there to show it, you know, and all the other things that you see, the, the receiver sweeps and things like that. I just, I really liked what they did, and I just assumed this year that, well, now you add weapons, and you just imagine what this can be. So is this year defensive catching up to it? I mean, I don't know. I think week to week, these coaches have every single tendency and play and everything on a cut-up available as a touch of a button. And so everyone is so scouted in today's game. And, and every single, your own self-scouting, your own tendencies. I mean, I, I just, I, I I think a lot of this is execution. I do. Now, does that mean that he's up to hook? No, I mean, I thought that I could sit there and press like the other day and I'm watching these plays and these formations. I'm like, what? Post, you know, if you want me to try something different out of that. And nope, it was the same thing. And the effort got blown up again. I mean, I thought it was a terrible day for him. So right now, I get why that's a very hot topic. Um, but, you know, so let's say, let's say that happens. Let's say they bottom out and that it's, you know, it, it's someone's got a zone at Trubisky. Is Mike Malarkey going to bring in some hot shot? and say, hey, take my offense. No, I mean, Mike Malarkey's an offensive coach. This is Mike Malarkey's offense. So, you know, 
I would assume the hire would be someone in his coaching family. And so now maybe that person's better at play selection on game day, which is a huge part of the job, obviously. But I just, I think if, if, if you get rid of Rubisky and Malarkey's still the coach, you're still going to have the same, same base offense. I don't think, I personally do not think that this is like a 1978 system that can't possibly win the NFL. I don't, I don't buy that. I, I just don't. I know that I hear it a lot. <laughs> I a lot out there. I just, I, I, you know, maybe the real concepts are antiquated at times or they're not good enough or whatever, but I think that everything that teams do in this league, and they all copy each other, and it's about putting together a strong game plan, using your personnel, putting them in position, and then making good selections on game day. I think we've seen that from Rubisky before, but right now we clearly haven't seen it. There's another long non-answer for you, but <laughs> you know, I, 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 I do think though. I mean, really, I mean, if it goes bad here and they don't get in, then I think there's no question that will be a discussion in Titans headquarters. Yeah, I mean, your your answers are great, by the way. Just keep, I'm usually the one that rambles on, and I know a lot less. <laughs> so, uh, you know, one thing I've been uh, thinking about a lot lately with some comments that have been going around is what is the head coach's job description? And what I mean by that is a lot of people I've heard have said, well, personnel is not their decision and play calling is not their decision. I, I need to know who to blame for guys like Eric Henry and you know those two first off not being used enough and then guys like Jonu Smith just being used incorrect very clearly incorrectly and in a way that doesn't fit his skill set you know there's a lot of square pegs on this team that are trying to be put in round holes and some guys who do really well like Derek Henry who do very well at certain things but then they're used in poor ways so they don't look good it's very hard to watch i've i've been a proponent of using derrick henry on something that goes sweeping outside like a jet motion or rocket motion something to get him outside at full speed on a corner and instead for whatever reason he likes to run him inside over and over and over again when he really has all his success outside so uh, all, all that is to say who can I blame for personnel decisions like Jayon Brown, Derek, <laughs> Derek Henry, and Jonu Smith? Because I think, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I think you bring up good points there. And if you get Derek Henry going downhill, he is uh, a nightmare, you know. But obviously, if you're if you're getting no push with the interior offensive line over and over again, and then he has to bounce it outside, well, you have no chance. That's I, I like your idea about. You know, try to get him going and, and have him, you know, come up on the edge with speed. When he gets going downhill, he's, he's incredible. Uh, but I think, I think the answer to the question, yeah, it's actually the head coach. I mean, he's, uh, you know, again, I think, especially with this particular head coach, more offensively, if you have offensive player usage issues, that's not that he doesn't talk with Dick LeBeau, but I think he pretty much, you know, that gives the defense off the dick of the ball. And, and he knows the game plan, and he's, he talks to them. But, you know, this, the offense is his baby. I mean, that's and, – and so any sort of decision like that, it certainly goes through Mike Malarkey. So um, – and, of course, look, and mention my column, you know, and I, I, I sort of went off on Malarkey about the whole, like, you know, 
people with two guns on this and this stuff, you know, which bothers me. Now, I'll tell you this. He has reams and reams of information that we don't have. That's why we ask questions to try to get any sort of insight into it. There are a lot of things that go into this stuff, matchups and, you know, a, 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 an unreported injury here or there, whatever it is. I mean, they have tons of information that we don't and never will have. So, you know, to a point, I defer to that. But I wouldn't disagree with you that there looks like some, some square pins around holding this team right now, especially on that side of the ball. Joe, last topic before we let you go. Um, looking ahead, this team faces the San Francisco 49ers this week after staying on the West Coast. Then they come back to finish the season with a two-game homestand against the very good and talented uh, Los Angeles Rams and then the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Titans in their last 10 home games are 9-1, and one, and it really showed with the three false starts that the Houston Texans faced at the end of the game that Nissan Stadium is becoming a very tough place to play, especially when the Titans are on their game and the crowd is able to, to sort of get into the game with them. Assuming they are able to beat the San Francisco 49ers, a game they're favored in and probably will be able to bounce back just enough to beat a not very good football team. Do you think this team, where it is right now, is good enough to take down a St. Louis Rams team that has maybe the best offense and running back in the NFL and a Jacksonville Jaguars team that has the most talented and opportunistic defense that we've seen in a while? Well, first of all, I'm probably a little more hesitant on this week than you are. I mean, yeah, they should win this game. Big Jimmy Garoppolo, and it's kind of, you know, it's the most exciting a 3-10 and team could possibly be because, you know, the quarterback of the future is playing now, and so, and they've played better. And, you know, to me, this is the biggest game of, the, of Marcus' tenure. It's an absolutely gigantic game for Marcus Mariota. I think if they get this, you talked about the, the home atmosphere. You know, I think if the Titans get this, find a way to get this, get to nine, I think you may be talking about a totally different atmosphere, win or lose this week. You know, I think if they lose this to get to eight and six, I think a lot of people are off the bandwagon. And it's like, okay, well, they're just going to get pounded by these two teams at home and they're an eight and eight team. And that's what they've looked like all year. And that's what they are. But I think if they win this game, then it's excitement and, um, the Rams look very good. I think this defense, the way it's playing right now, can you know can, can make them one-dimensional. Can do a good job against Gurley. And then, of course, you, know, you got to get after the quarterback. And I mean, that's a very good team, as you said. Tough game. But this week's result, I think, directly leads to it. And then with the Jaguars, I mean, what's on the line there? I mean, it could be the division up for grabs. It could be... You know, the Jaguars just resting people in another spot. They could still be in play for the two in the AFC, which is pretty amazing to think about. <laughs> uh, so that, that, I mean, that one is, who knows where things are going to be. But, look, I mean, as far, if you're a Titans fan right now, you have to feel like the defense is going to keep you in these games. And, uh, I mean, they, you know, that sudden change, especially after the pick and the terrible Curtis Spain penalty, that was, that was big-time stuff come in there and, you know, hold the Cardinals to a field goal. And they, they were stressed, like, like defenses aren't often stressed on Sunday. And, yeah, they were playing mm-hmm. Gabbert. You know, Blaine Gabbert missed some throws, too, that would have scored on them. But still, I mean, I think they'll keep the scores down in these games. And just It just really comes down to them. And it's can this offense figure it out. And um, I think, you know, I think it's going to be a really close game Sunday in San Francisco, and I think it's, it's going to set the stage and, and, and set the course for the rest of the way. 
Joe, we're all big fans of your work. Keep it up. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate the time. Okay, guys. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And you can follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Rexroad. So let's talk a little bit because we, we talked a lot with Joe about the offense, and I want to talk a couple more points about the offense before we get into the defense. But let, let's talk about Terry Robisky for a second. Matias, you were the one that asked Joe this question. Uh, my problem with Terry Robisky is that we have seen Mike Malarkey's exotic smash whatever work with other teams. It worked with the Pittsburgh Steelers. It worked with Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons. And, and so I don't think that there's a problem with Mike Malarkey's offense. And as Joe mentioned, this is not a 1975 offense that they're trying to run in modern day. It's just not. That's a horribly misinformed opinion. However, the offense is not working with the Titans at all. It looks like it's always running in slow motion. It looks very uncreative. I mean, you you see three-yard losses on first down coming. People call it the run-run-pass offense. And you have to wonder if, because it's clearly not necessarily Malarkey's fault, because this system does work. But is it the fault of the person who not is designing these plays, but is reading them into the headset and deciding when to do so? Yeah, like Joe said, um, calling plays is arguably the most important part of being an offensive coordinator. Uh, and as we've seen from Terry Robisky over the last two, one and a half years, um, there's times where his play calls just make absolutely no sense uh, and they don't work. Um, and it's not only just specific play calls um, within the frame of the game. Sometimes it's it's the entire game. Sometimes it just feels like he doesn't have a proper feel of how the game is going, how to attack defenses, um, whether it's not using hurry up when Marcus has been really good at at hurry up in the past, or whether it's not running the ball when when those matchups are exploitable, or even in this past game, uh, I think he should have ran the ball more. I know the Cardinals have have an impressive run defense, but Marcus was struggling. Uh, the receivers really couldn't get open, uh, and the timing of the whole passing offense was was down. Uh, and Robisky just completely abandoned the run um, pretty pretty early in the game, um, and that's a main reason why we only scored seven points. Um, I do, I'm not fully on board with Malarkey's offense because some of the some of the play designs just they're they're not very good. Uh, we definitely use a lot of tight bunch formations that that are kind of head-scratching a lot of the times. Um, but, I mean, we saw it work to perfection last year uh, over the uh, from weeks 5 to 15, uh, and Marcus looked as comfortable as ever as, as he ever has, and the run game was, was on fire. So we've seen Malarkey's offense work in the past. Um, and, I, I mean, I don't know who else you could blame aside from some regression from Marcus Mariota uh, and Robisky calling calling bad plays honestly um and uh, i i i had to look this up uh just to make sure um uh that robisky was an offensive coordinator in, in the past he was only an offensive coordinator uh and interim head coach for the browns uh back in 2004 uh then he reverted back to receivers coach for them and then got fired a couple years after so i'm not ruling it out that Robisky is just completely out of his depth as an offensive coordinator um, because this is the only time he's he, – oh, I'm wrong again. Never mind. He was an offensive coordinator for the L.A. Raiders uh, back in the in the early 90s. But anyway, he still looks out of his depth as an offensive coordinator, uh, especially in a completely different era of football. Um, and he needs to adapt because seven points is just not going to cut it. 
Yeah, I mean, if I had two ways to describe Tara Bisky as an offensive coordinator, it would be uh, lazy and mm, lazy. And, well, okay, <laughs> this is what I mean by lazy. He relies on the same and uncreative as other one because I think he relies on the same things over and over and over again. I think. It, whether it works or not, if he if it should work on paper, he goes back to it too many times. We've seen too many times where he's pulled Josh Klein and tried to run that same you know counter power play that he always tries to run that never works because either Ben Jones can't seal backside or Jonu Smith, who's over there playing block and tight end on that side, can't get it done or whatever, and it doesn't work. And because conceptually it, it should work, he will keep going back to it when clearly those pieces don't fit that play so that is lazy it, it, it's lazy to rely on a week's worth of work when instead you can see what's happening right in front of you and adjust and when you're not creative and you can't respond to that it makes you extremely limited this offense works one way and that's if the titans can run the ball and to run the ball you need an offensive line that's working which i think this offensive line is doing as good of a job as they are last year but the second thing you need is a running back who can find the holes and i don't think demarco murray has shown that he can do that consistently derrick henry is a good player but he's better on the outside than he is inside and rubisky wants to run him inside just as much as outside and it's just not his game he's chris johnson in a bigger frame so once you realize what you see on tape, you have to adjust and you have to get creative with your people. Him not doing that is borderline offensive to me because it's taking good players, <laughs> good money and good picks on, and it's wasting them. You know, guys like Corey Davis and Rashad, Math- Rashad Matthews and Delaney Walker and John O. Smith and Taewon Taylor, who all have very unique ways you can use them. Just being another cog in a bad machine is not going to cut it. You need somebody intelligent enough to say, okay, maybe Janu is not the same blocker that Supernaut is. So maybe we shouldn't just use them interchangeably. And maybe when you have a screen pass, you don't throw it to Eric Decker and have Corey Davis block. You switch those roles. You know, if you want a deep pass, maybe you don't throw it to Richard. Maybe you try Taewon, who's faster. You know, all these things that are so clear in my head and so clear when you watch them that I don't know how you can argue against them. And yet week after week after week, Rubisky will go and do the same thing over and over and over. It's football malpractice. I shouldn't have to watch that. I should be able to watch a person who can see what's going on in front of them, adapt to that, and adjust. The playbook is not three pages long. He's got plenty of plays he can call. He doesn't have to rely on the same ones. And there's not an excuse because your counter isn't in the playbook. When you've been coaching for decades, you should have a counter to everything you can see. And if you don't, and if your position that's supposed to be your emphasis, you know, wide receivers, aren't cutting it, then maybe you need to look in the mirror and maybe we need to figure out that that's the problem. You know, like we talked about earlier, I've seen Malarkey pilot offenses where he's had guys with 181 targets like like Roddy White. You know, nobody's going to get close to that in this offense because that's just not what Terry Robisky wants to do. And when the running game's working, that's fine. I can understand leaning on it. But when it's not working, don't lean on it over and over and over again. Just get kicked in the teeth for three quarters. It sets you up for failure, and that's just not acceptable in the NFL. And I don't, I don't know how you can argue that he deserves to be the offensive coordinator based off what we've seen. And if he doesn't fix what we've seen in the last three games, then there needs to be a change.
Yeah, I, I find it hard to believe that Robisky just calls the plays uh, and that he didn't have like any part in designing this this offense that we're that we're putting on the field right now. Um, and like you said, there's just a complete lack of creativity. Uh, if you want if you want to see an example of creative creativity, uh, just go to the Chiefs and what Andy Reid is doing. He recently handed over play calling. Um, to to his offensive coordinator uh, because they were stagnating a bit and they're flying high right now. They ran a play this past weekend. Um, it, it's really a fantastic play. You need to see it. Uh, they faked the handoff, uh, faked one swing pass to the left, faked another swing pass to the right, and then set up a screen for Travis Kelsey. Why can't we get the ball in good situations to our talented players? It's just it's just really annoying because we know we have the talent. They might not be playing like it at times, uh, but we know that that these players can be just as talented as the ones that the Chiefs have. Who do the Chiefs have that we don't have? Delaney Walker and Travis Kelsey are probably on equal terms. Corey Davis is more talented than any receiver that they have. Uh, and I'd say our running backs are just as talented as Kareem Hunt. So it's just frustrating to see our offense be so bad when their offense is... Uh, around the league that are just being so creative and really maximizing the talent that that that's at their disposal. And I want to give Mike Malarkey a lot of leeway. I really like him. He's a great guy, and I've seen him succeed other places before as an offensive mind. So I don't want to lean on him too hard. But look at what Andy Reid did. He realized the person calling the plays, which was himself, wasn't doing the team any favors, and there was somebody on the staff who was better at it. So we mm-hmm. turned to play calling. He needs to do the exact opposite of that with Rubisky. He needs to see Rubisky's not calling plays correctly. I know I have in the past. I'm going to do it from here on out. This is a crucial stretch for him. If everything goes poorly for the Titans, then they probably will not make the playoffs, and you will have gone to from a something like a 92% on those you know predictive scales, you know 92% uh-huh. in the playoffs. That is a fireable offense if it's this side of the ball that you're supposed to be coaching. You know, there's no major major injuries right now that should hold him back. If he thinks he can call a better game, he needs to step up and do it. Yeah, yep. for sure. So, um, the, the tables have kind of turned since the beginning of the season. Uh, at the beginning of the season, we really criticized Dick LeBeau because the pass rush wasn't working. Uh, and and now we're criticizing the Titans' offensive coaching staff, whereas on the other side of the ball, the defense has, over the past three weeks, been maybe the best in the NFL, but over the entire season is currently 10th in the NFL in total defense and uh, number two in rushing defense. They're only allowing opponents to run for 3.6 yards per carry. So it's just really impressive how this defense seems to be heating up at the right time and they're not really playing behind the talent of any one guy. They just are, are playing really cohesive defense. Yeah, the defense has been playing fantastic, and I don't know why anyone's really complaining about their play at all. Um, they haven't given up uh, over 22 points, aside from the Steelers game, uh, since week four, uh, and they have, what, 20 sacks over the past three weeks? I mean, that is just a ridiculous number, Um Especially at this has been kind of a weird season. I mean, everyone was ready to fire Dick LeBeau. 
after after the first half of that Monday night game against the Colts. Uh, and now sacks are just coming out of the woodworks, um, and everyone is stepping up. I mean, we just lost Daquan Jones, uh, and we didn't have D- Derek Morgan in this game, and we racked up eight sacks anyway. Players were stepping—all kinds of players were stepping up. D- David King even got a sack, uh, who was one of the guys that we pointed out needed to step up uh, in Daquan Jones' absence. Uh, Austin Johnson has been making plays. Uh, Klug has been making plays. Um, and it's just really, really good to see um, people stepping up for each other um, and everyone playing well just uh, as a whole unit. It's not just the run defense. Uh, the back end is really held up rather well um, almost for the entire season, aside from a couple of hiccups uh, in games against against really good offenses that were, that were piping hot. So uh, it's been really good to see. Yeah, I mean, the cornerback tandem really has to be talked about every time you talk about this defense because they looked sketchy early in the season, and I was not necessarily on board with the Dory Jackson with the first-round pick. But, I mean, I've been very clearly wrong. You know, he and Logan Ryan have been the best Titans tandem of cornerbacks since Jason McCourty and Altron Burner in their Pro Bowl years uh, when Greg Williams had that really you know athletic, aggressive defense that was just – you know, they were either going to boom or bust, bust, and, you know, more often than not, they boomed. But, you know, something that needs to be talked about is plays coming from everywhere. Like we said, there's six players on this team with three and a half or more sacks. Last year, there was just three. If Brian Arakpo, Jarrell Casey, or Derek Morgan weren't getting sacks last year, then nobody was going to. It just wasn't deep enough. The scheme wasn't diverse enough. It was those guys are going to make a play or nobody will. And now you've got guys making the play from, you know, on the line. You've got Eric Walden, who's a backup outside linebacker, making plays. You know, you've got Kevin Byard as, you know, a defensive player of the year, you know, candidate who's not being talked about. Wesley Woodyard, who's playing better than he's ever played. You've got three players on defense with 10 or more pass deflections. I mean, all these things are things we haven't seen from Titans defenses, you know, since Greg Williams and even before that, you know, when we saw him consistently. So to top, to have 40 or more sacks in back-to-back seasons, which is what this Titans team is, it is not something we've seen in a long time. And as much as I wanted to, you know, I was head of that line of wanting to fire LeBeau after the first, you know, half of that Indianapolis game. I, I'm, I'll stand by. I thought it was crazy, and I still don't agree with some of the stuff he does, like covering uh, Andre Ellington with uh, Derek Morgan out of the backfield and stuff like that. That just doesn't make sense. But at the end of the day, it works. So you know, for as as much as I you know was against him early, he's been outstanding, and he's got these guys playing at another level and he really needs to be commended and you know I, I, I don't know with him at the helm right now with the way he's coaching these players I think this is a very defensive minded team first which is not something I would have said six weeks ago yeah whenever like we tweet or we talk about the Titans defense being being really good right now uh, uh, people just the, the first thing they revert to is yeah but when they play a good defense uh, play a good offense uh, they get absolutely destroyed. Okay, sure. That happened against the Steelers because it was a short week. It was in Heinz Field, and Ben Roethlisberger has been absolutely ridiculous since that game. Uh, I think he's thrown like, I, I don't know, close to 20 touchdowns since then. 
um, and just a ridiculous amount of, of yards. Uh, he's on fire. Uh, when we played the Texans and we got smoked by them, Deshaun Watson was was breaking records at, at an obscene pace uh, in an offense that was completely clicking. Um, and other than that, who has really had uh, an incredible offensive performance against us, aside from maybe Russell Wilson in catch-up mode uh, in week three? Uh, I guess the Raiders in week one, but that's all the way back back then. Uh, so since then, the defense has been great, and I, I don't see the need to even 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 think about that Steelers game as as being important uh, in the grand scheme of things. You know, to your point that anytime you tweet about the defense or the uh, people immediately respond and say, you know, what about the offense? Look, the offense sucks. It was terrible against the Arizona Cardinals. And we talked about it with Joe for 20 minutes. But you have to, if you're a Titans fan, be excited with this defense. Because the Titans defense last year was good to okay for like 10 weeks. And then it, it, it the floodgates opened at the end of the season because the pass rush stopped being effective. And Valentino Blake and Parrish Cox became exposed. <laughs> and, I mean, it, it just collapsed. The floodgates opened. Whereas this year... It was kind of okay at the beginning of the season, not very impressive, anything. And then, boom, all of a sudden, it's become one of the best defenses in the NFL. They're heating up at just the right time. And as you're, if you're a Titans fan, yes, the offense is really bad, but the defense is really good. <laughs> yeah, and uh, don't pay attention to to these. Um, well, a lot of a lot of a lot of analysis now is kind of fantasy football uh skewed or related uh and like the i guess in fantasy terms uh the titans are a team to attack uh in fantasy football because they give up a lot of yards through the air um and they do give up a lot of touchdowns but the reason for that uh is because they face so many pass attempts they have faced the most pass attempts uh in the entire league yet their yards per attempt is the sec- seventh lowest uh, given up uh, in the league. So this is not a bad secondary, not a bas- bad pass defense uh, it, by any stretch of the imagination. And add into add into that fact that they're a top five run defense unit. And this is one of the best defenses we've seen by the uh, by a Titans team in quite some time. Yeah, the whole point differential thing is going to mess you all up because you're going to hear it a lot. But it's just a tale of two different teams. You know, for a while, this team was led by a really good offense that was clicking and everything was working in spite of weird play calls. You know, people were transcending the scheme and that was working well. But the defense wasn't doing anything. Then all of a sudden, the defense had to start carrying games right around the Cleveland game. The defense had to start carrying the unit while the offense was struggling with, you know, Marcus Mariota recuperating and just losing rhythm. And then, you know, it was Mariota, then it was Spain being out. Then it was Corey Davis was back, but then he had to switch roles to Rashard Matthews spot. You know, so many things changed and just kept this team from really being at 100% that I don't think they've ever gotten into a rhythm. Now they're supposedly all healthy although Mariota has a knee thing. We'll see how that goes. But point differential is good if you're dealing with a consistent team. But this isn't a consistent team. This is a team of very high variables, very high variance. So, you know, ignore that stat for now and look at what the recent games have shown us. And that's this is a really good defensive team who just needs a couple of breaks from the offense to be really good. Yeah, the offense needs to step up because – 
the wasting these performances by the defense is just it's going to come back to haunt you and it's honestly just sad uh for the players that are playing their heart out on that side of the ball it's like back when the cincinnati reds had johnny cueto or the miami marlins with jose fernandez like it's just exactly w- yeah yeah baseball. two two yeah. runs of run support yeah exactly <laughs> am uh, i right curveballs too <laughs> <laughs> Will Will is not our 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 baseball guy. Correct. <laughs> well, um, we will be back later in the week to preview the Titans matchup on Sunday against uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and the San Francisco Forty Niners. Um, until then, for Matthias Wadner, Will Lomas, and Joe Rexrode, I am Luke Worsham. Thank you for listening to the Titan Size Podcast. We will talk to everyone next week. <laughs>